All right, Adam, great to have you on Behind Company Lines podcast. Adam Lawrence is the co-founder and CEO of Boom and Bucket. It is a second-hand marketplace for all your needs um, with machines, cranes, um, what else is there in there? Drills, I'm sure. That's There's it. all kinds he- of heavy equipment. Heavy, heavy equipment is how you define it. Um, I love it, man. Well, thank you for joining the podcast. I'm excited to jump on in. Like I mentioned, these will be rapid-fire questions to get to know you your company, and anything more that can inspire our audience to build their own companies or discover some new information and, and, um, and learn some more about uh, the companies that are running the world nowadays. Um, first comes first, uh, what were you doing before this company? Um, I was chief operating officer of a big payments company called Bolt. Yep. And then uh, before that, I built and sold an HR tech company, and then I started my career as a, the first employee at a company called Adapar back in the day. Wow. One of the wow. uh, Palantir co-founders, Joe Lonsdale, started that. Wow. What did that teach you, like, building up into this experience? Like, it sounds like you, you, you started it on, on the ground level. Be able to, like, I saw Bolt, you were able to get them acquired and, and grow the revenue. Like, what what have you kind of grown and seen from that experience? Yeah. So, Bolt's still private. It's a, an $11 billion private company, raised about a billion dollars in capital over the past two years. Um Adapar is also still private. It's about two and a half billion. Um, does a little bit north than a hundred million in annual recurring revenue now. I think the thing that you learn when you see that a few different times is how to put things in perspective. Yeah. Um, on a given week, given month, given year, there's a very small set of things that actually matter. And so you got to figure out that one or two things that matter. Um, and if you can figure those things out and adequately spend time to get those things nailed, you can build a big business. But there's a huge amount of kind of sideways work. You know, you could spend all day filling out forums and all day in meetings and all day doing research, but there's one or two things that really matter. How do you find those things that matter? It's a good question. Um, Some of it's gut, some of it's experience, and some of it's kind of taking a step back. I think the trap is to log into your email in the morning and just say, I've got to respond to all these things or log into Slack and respond to that. I will guarantee you, you will not find the important stuff. That's the way that you kind of organize your day or your week or your month. And so I'm a big fan of like, if I finish a meeting early, like I like to go on a walk around the block, clear the head a little bit and kind of think, okay, what's the next big thing that we have to work on? Um, Yeah. Monday, Monday mornings for our team, we ask people to write down their three priorities for the week and just share them with the team. Um, only uh-huh. three, not 15 and, yeah. <laughs> uh, rank order. What's your most second and third priority? Um, and the reason being is that's like a forcing function to figure out like, okay, if I do these three things, that'll be a successful week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. how's that, has that been like able to really upscale your like productivity and to keep the team focused? I, I love it. Like it's a really good, like I was doing that normally just for myself. Like I have a stack yeah. of paper next to my desk. That I just write down, okay, what I want to do today. Um, mm-hmm. but it's a good forcing function for the rest of the team. And then the other thing that's really nice is that like we're half distributed, half in Austin, Texas. Um, it provides some transparency for the rest of the folks, the folks that are distributed for like what everybody is working on that, you know, you could pop into Slack or Asana or something, try to figure that out. But if somebody just says, here's my weekly goal, um, yeah. you get to see it and it's great. And then like, yeah. it provides a uh, kind of level of like, Hey, you know, Tom is working on something impactful for the business this week. I love that. I love that. And you know, Experience. It seems like heavy equipment may have not been so predictive if I were to look on LinkedIn, but uh, <laughs> to make a boom and bucket and kind of start a secondhand marketplace. Yeah, you're not the first person to point out that going from fintech <laughs> and payments to heavy equipment is not a well-trodden path. 
But I think if you look kind of underneath the surface a little bit, it is. And so, Bolt, um, one-click checkout for the rest of the internet. So payments, risk and fraud, user accounts, network, all to power e-commerce. And so I spent three years in the e-commerce space seeing what the most sophisticated e-commerce players did. Um, Adapar, we mapped that financial world. We understood what assets were, who owned what. And so we we created uh, kind of this data network and this data platform that built software on top of it. Um, those two things informed what I want to do next. So I want to be in B2B. I want to be in a big yeah. market. I want to be one that you could have network of data effects. I loved e-commerce or marketplace. Mm-hmm. And then um, I've told my friends that I will never ever sell anything where you're trying to compete off of basis points. So yeah. a, a percent of a percent ever again. Why? Because yeah. every single Stanford GSB graduate or Harvard Business School graduate has gone into FinTech the past 10 years. Yep. And so that was my mental framework. And I met two guys who sold a business to Caterpillar about five years ago. And then they ran wow. Cat Digital Labs. And so they knew the space incredibly well. Um, yeah. They convinced me that the space fits that criteria. And then as we started talking to folks and started kind of feeling their pain in the sense of, tell me if you were happy with the last time you bought a piece of equipment. Tell me what went wrong. <laughs> tell me what went right. Yeah. The wrong list, by the way, was four times longer than the right list. Uh, we realized it was a big opportunity. So in the yeah. U.S., $40 billion of these things get bought and sold every single year. Um, yeah. Two-thirds of that's kind of offline. It's your local dealer or like uh, kind of Craigslist right. or Facebook marketplace. Everybody needs Love to finance that. it. Everybody needs to ship it. Um, and mm-hmm. everybody needs a warranty product. And so um, that's what we're building is kind of everything for used heavy equipment in that regard. What are some of the horse with uh, buying and selling equipment? <laughs> Yeah, all right, there's a good one. Um, so the way that a lot of this stuff is sold is by auction. And it's not like eBay Motors, mm-hmm. it's like auction in a dirt field. And so you'd go look at this machine, oh. maybe you get there a little bit early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like real physical yeah. in-person auctions, like raise yeah. the paddle type situation. And so that. we have a customer who bought from us like a, a very expensive, like a three and a half, so uh, $350,000 bulldozer. So an expensive piece of equipment. Wow. Yeah. And they were replacing one that they had bought from an auction where the uh, engine uh, overheating light had been disconnected. And so when they turned it on <laughs> at the auction, it looked fine. When they started running it, it overheated right away. And of course the auction is as is, where is, no guarantee, no recourse. And so our ability to underwrite the machine quality, so that's what we call it when we figure out, is this a good piece of equipment, is it not? And then is it accurately displayed? was a huge win for them in the sense that they felt that they could trust the experience. Yeah. yeah. What is, uh, I mean, I'm assuming, what is the benefit in terms of obviously having like an operating uh, versus non-operating like piece of equipment? And like, how, how, how different is that benefit for the customer? Yeah, I mean, huge. In one case, you have 100,000 pounds of metal sitting there that you can't use. The other yeah. uh, side of that, you have this machine that you spent $300,000 on that you buy those things to make money. And yeah. so a lot of our yeah. customers, like excavating they do road work they do large projects and so if you have a piece of equipment that you can't actually use to do your core business it's literally just the biggest waste that you could possibly think of you've thrown money away is that why projects don't get done i mean the highway are are struggling to be completed (laughs) uh you're in southern california right yeah yeah so there's a specific boondog there where uh a project was significantly underbid and then they had to go back and they had to change the contractors. So that's the 405 freeway. But no, Oof. for really th- big things like, um, you know, the, the highways uh, systems, they're really complex projects. 
there's a lot of regulatory agencies involved. And so the number of lawsuits that uh, happen now for a project like that is incredibly high and it's environmental yeah. impact. It's, you know, the, the toads and the salamanders, can they get across the road? It's all these things <laughs> that we didn't have to deal with 50 years ago. And I'm not saying right. they're good or bad, but um, these things take a lot more time than they used to because of the way that our environments uh, involved, evolved. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about the, the famous, like, you know, fast high rail train that was going to go through California and then all of a yeah. sudden it has to go through all these hiccups and you know stop and go through regulations and it's in courts and now we don't have a we don't have a but um, yeah. you know that that's just what happens um I mean, me about attraction that, yeah, yeah sorry we don't have a train but uh in the same time that they went from planning to deciding that we still don't have a train they built Hoover Dam you know oh, really they, they done, oh, like, that's what we used to do so like yeah. we have the Bechtel family as investors are the biggest private construction company in the world and before meeting with them, I, I read a, a few books about the history of the company. And, you know, they used to build these incredible scale projects that would be done in yeah. two, three, four, five years. Um, and we don't do that anymore. Um, yeah. You asked about traction. So we, we've sold hundreds of these pieces of equipment. People buy them online. So like 95% of people buy them without ever looking at them. They ship them hundreds or thousands of miles away. And <laughs> here's a great deal. Those customers give us a 9.5 out of 10 in terms of customer satisfaction score right. when they do that. And the only thing they complain about is shipping, and we don't do shipping. We partner <laughs> with third parties to do it. And so I think this is the future. People want to buy online. You and I already buy yeah. online for our personal lives. We want to do it for our business lives, and we're just trying yeah. to build this amazing industry. Yeah. Going on, it, it creates just such an easy customer experience. Yeah. And um, and also, it seems like there is still a big gap for um, shipping logistics to just like become more efficient, more effective. Um, incorporate that to your business model at some point? Um, we'll partner with great shippers and we've started to do that. So we have a handful of preferred providers where we get to interact with them, um, through a technical integration. So we get to send them the, the kind of what we need done in terms of the quote, they reply to the quote, uh, digitally. And so that's the experience that we want. And then ideally somebody can, you know, go to your cool one of your shop pay form or something like that and say, Oh yeah, here's my truck. Like it's going to be here in two days. Oh, that's, that's, awesome. that's what we want to get to. So we'll build that. Yeah. That's awesome risk now that you're facing with your with your company the biggest risks now that we're facing um so we're, we're in construction technology um i think if you were to think about who uses new technology first you would think oh teenagers <laughs> you'd think about yeah. cutting edge silicon valley companies new york companies and somewhere 50 60 names down that list is construction companies <laughs> and so i really worry about our reputation and what i mean by that is that um, these are not early adopters in technology, which is fine. Um, and so we have to make sure that we build a fantastic reputation over time. We don't get a lot of chances, but when somebody gives us a chance, they actually lean into this and say, great, sell these 10 machines for me. And if we do a good job on that, we will get a hundred machines next time. Yeah. And so it's the kind of the reputation and making sure that we're building the trust of our customers. Is a lot of that reputation just like executing on, on like the orders or is it any? A lot of people think about reputation, trust, pilot reviews, yeah. you know, all these little things that are incorporated. But obviously, the, the network effect is the best, right? You have a customer who recommends another satisfied customer. How do you maintain that level of high satisfaction? Five out of ten is a pretty high score. Yeah, and you know, so one, we we do what we say we're going to do. The mm -hmm. biggest thing that people are happy with is when they buy something from us is as described. There's no yeah. surprises. Yeah, and so you expensive stuff online but we just wanted to do what it says it's going to do right yep. but if we buy a car online it gets shipped there 
and you know it's got scratches and dents and dings all over it, we're probably going to be pissed off. Our customers yeah. are the same way. And so um, we do what we say we're going to do. We describe things well, um, and then we try really hard to have great customer service and support after that. So what's the long-term vision? Obviously, I'm sure you asked that, you know, in, in yeah. you know, meetings where you're raising funding and, and, you know, talking to investors all the time and maybe your current employees and stand-ups, but what's the long-term vision for the company and I guess for the industry? Yeah. Um, this industry is evolving a lot and it's evolving a lot because it's got a lot of pressures from the outside. Folks in the industry are getting younger. Um, I want to be the biggest company that people are buying and selling equipment from in the United States. And so we want to get there over the course of, of many years. But if we do that, that means that the majority of these things will be sold online. We will brought most of the customers online and we'll be yeah. selling uh, on a given basis, billions of dollars worth of equipment in the US. And so wow. that's where we want to go. And, um, you know, we have kind of a, a five year plan to get there and a bunch mm -hmm. of things have to fall right. But mm -hmm. so far things have been working pretty well. Like, you know, and in, in regards to, you know, the overall effect, like, what do you see Boom and Bucket has on the effect of, like, construction and, like, as, you know, a young company, and, and I'm sure it's in America now, and um, how, how, what do you think is the overall effect of, like, a company like Boom and Bucket to, you know, or, or complete projects? Yeah. What's that look the like? The impact's really big. So our customers tend to be smaller and mid-sized construction companies. Mm -hmm. And so these are often family-owned enterprises. Um, and helping them become more efficient it is a big deal. It means that they get to hire more people. It means that they do more projects. It means that they get to earn more for their families and their communities. And so we think about it in that, that if they don't have to get on a, in their truck or if they don't have to fly somewhere to inspect a piece of equipment and they can save those two days, that's a big deal for these small businesses. Yeah. Um, and if they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of piece of equipment and it works as described, that's fantastic. And so yeah. that's where we want to be. And so, um, the impact's really kind of adding efficiency to these businesses. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Bonus question I always like to ask, yeah. you know, what books or people have like inspired you the most? Not maybe in the past, maybe in the future. Who, who's your inspiration? Um, it's a great question. Book that everybody building a company should read that's scaling is High Output Management by Andy Grove. Andy Grove is a legend, ran in <laughs> Intel. Um, also, he wrote the Par only the paranoid survive, which is also a, a great, great book as well. Um, that was uh, something that helped me go from being a crap manager to being one that was uh, a little <laughs> bit less than bad on that side. Uh, in terms of learning, you know, I, I think people put the idea is that you have a manager, you have a boss, or something, you put them on a pedestal. Um, right. I, I've been lucky enough to work for two billionaires that have built incredibly successful companies mm -hmm. in the past. Um, and I've learned a ton from them. And you know, the, the goal of any young entrepreneur, anybody that wants to build something, you should be find the smartest person that they possibly can and work for that person. Yeah. And just yeah. learn from them day in, day out. Ask them, hey, why are we doing this? How about this? Like, you know, come prepare, do the homework, spend the extra nights and time early in your career to build up kind of that competencies and it'll pay dividends later. Wow. Where do you find these people? I'm sure I'm sure people will ask, where do you find these people? Where do you find these, you know, these these and expert level individuals <laughs> who built companies and they come in different shapes and forms yeah. and yeah. in all types totally and so um it depends but there, there's patterns that you want to look for right if you are mm -hmm. great at computer science you probably want to surround yourself by people that uh compete in the international math olympiads why those are the smartest young people in the world 
at, wow. at math, which is then programming when they go to college and then professionally, for example. Um, when you're looking uh, to find a great entrepreneur, you're looking for somebody that has grit, like sparkle and determination. So yeah, yeah. grit, like you can chat about that, but sparkle is the one that I like is that like, you kind of know it when you see it. You want to follow right. that person around. They're a little magnetic. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the delta between good and great is often that little bit of extra. And really? so those folks have usually done a little bit of extra their entire uh, life. You know, they were a high achiever in high school. They were a high achiever in college. I'm not just talking about grades. They've done cool shit. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Same thing after school. And so like, you know, some of my highest achieving friends weren't the ones that got the best grades, but they were doing cool stuff all the time. Yeah. And so like, look for folks that are out there mixing it up and are like pushing hard. What's inspired out of the individuals you've talked to? Do you have, do you have like a quote or something that kind of motivation? Uh, a quote that drives my next level of motivation. I don't, I don't have like a hustle quote that I like. I've got like a bunch no. of quotes <laughs> like Joe Lonsdale taught me to only trust our execution. And I think about that a lot by that is that you can rely on third parties you can rely on outsourcing you rely on pieces of software to kind of do some of the product that you're building or deliver some of the service <laughs> but at the end of the day your customers expect you to be the provider that provides that thing and they're yeah. going to grade you whether those third parties are good bad or somewhere in between yeah and so you got to trust your own execution if there's any doubt there is no doubt and you just got to lean in and do it and when you do that you end up creating a lot more value and so um always think about that when we're partnering it says like hey you should always trust your first ex your execution first and something yeah. like that. I love it. I love it. Well, awesome, man. Those are my questions. And uh, last last thing here is where can we find you? Where can we support the Moon Bucket? Where can we get to, to know more about the company or help spread yeah. the message, spread the word? Boomandbucket.com if you want to buy some yep. heavy equipment. <laughs> and then I'm on Twitter at IM underscore ASL. Those are my initials. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. I had a great time, and then we'll catch you, catch you around. Appreciate it.